Hello friends! Uh, I know this is un a little unusual uh, to have me, just me, introduce uh, the beginning of the episode. Uh, usually there is, this would be the place of the cold open. Uh, but when I was recording with uh, Drew Robison earlier today, uh, we started just kind of talking and we rolled right into the episode. And there wasn't really a good place to cut. Um, and most of what we talked about I thought was interesting and I didn't really want to edit anything down for a cold open. So instead, you get just me introducing the episode. Uh, and after this, there will be the theme song and then the episode will just kind of start. Um, before I get to that, though, I would like to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to uh, So Poetry recently. I've been checking stats on the SoundCloud page. Um, and there have been lots of plays from Japan, there have been a couple from the UK, there have been some from North Carolina and other places on the East Coast. Uh, I saw a couple of plays from Utah. Um, I don't know who y'all are listening, but I deeply appreciate that y'all are. Uh, I hope that y'all continue. Um, if anybody would like to reach out, um, and if you have suggestions or you, I don't know, would like to be, like, form a community or, I don't know, just just get in touch for some reason, please do. Um, I believe my email is on the SoundCloud page. Um, but, yeah, I, if people, if you would like to, like to uh, be in touch, I would ha happily be in touch. Um, but... Um, primarily this is just a, an appreciation. Um, like I said, thank you so much for listening, um, and enjoy the episode. I wanted to ask before we started, um, how are your D&D &D games coming? Oh, they're coming along. Yeah, I actually just started. Um, there was, a, actually right now, there's a, like a drinking and dragons thing going on at oh. Wind Up Space. And I was going to go do run something there today, but I didn't actually get it together in time. But yeah, mm -hmm. I'm trying to do, I'm working on this thing right now where it's just like, it's supposed to be for an intro for people who have never played before. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be done in like two, three hours or wow. whatever, just to like... To have something like that, you know, like, yeah. to, like introduce people to it. We could run a quick little adventure together. They can get used to the roles and all that sort of stuff, and not have to worry about all the like, kind of like math and stuff that's right. involved yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so are you? I know that you're playing with Anthony and company. Yeah, playing with them. And you, you are. Are you you're DMing we, your own games? We right? I was. Oh, okay. it just actually finished. Congratulations. Um, yeah, we. At the end of last year, so it okay. was about a year-long nice. campaign, and we wrapped it up right before the holidays. Um, so I've actually like haven't DM'd <laughs> in a couple of months, and that's what was like kind of the itch that I was trying to scratch oh, with gotcha. writing this whole thing was to get back into it. because yeah. um, we're gonna our next campaign we're gonna do someone else is gonna DM and they're gonna DM from a book. Okay, like a. Um, like a whole campaign book mm -hmm. that Wizards of the Coast published, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm probably gonna adapt it and stuff to the own thing. Right. But yeah, know, I'll be 
for the foreseeable future, I'll be playing rather than DMing. Okay. So I wanted to like do some DMing on the side and stuff. Is there? Do you prefer being either a player or a DM, or do they have their own? Each of them have their own like. You know, pros like and cons? I. Because I started playing, you mm-hmm. know, and I, you know, saw Anthony's uh, DM style and everything, and so um, I was like, I really want to do that, try that out, and so after DMing for a whole year, and then playing uh, in his campaign, and then playing in some other little short campaigns for the last couple months, honestly, I think I like DMing more, um, just because it's like... There's a lot more, like, world building involved, you know, Mm -hmm. you get to think about the whole town and everything people are in, and you get to, like, um, I like the acting part of Mm -hmm. it, where it's not like I'm always acting out, like, instead of getting really inside of the head of one character and their motivations and everything, I act out... You know, every other character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get to do the evil people and the good people and all that kind of stuff. So I like that, like, mix of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I like sort of the. the building of challenges for other people to try to complete, you know, like mm-hmm. that's that's really satisfying to me when they like figure out a puzzle or something. Oh, that is a helicopter. I, I don't know. Truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I. Um, do you? Is it a challenge to you to try to like to thread that needle between things being too hard and things being too easy? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always. <laughs> That's like what I. That's why I feel like after having experience for like a whole year mm-hmm. of DMing, I have an idea of what is manageable in like two to three hours. Okay. You know, and what, um, how you step up the difficulties. Right. You know, so the first encounter is not really that difficult. You're just kind of getting used to what right. the players can do and everything. But then like the last, the boss, mm-hmm. you know, is really where you get to shine as a DM and kind of like right. throw crazy things at them. And right. Figure and- out. And I'm assuming that if you're playing with people that have played before, that you could start off, like, instead of having Mm -hmm. a kind of, like, gradual learning curve, you can start off, like, if they're playing with characters that have been built up or that they're advanced, that, like, you can start off immediately, like, okay, you're going to deal with some hard shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think there's still, I like starting slow because it feels more authentic, you know? Okay. Um, That, like, well, number one, you want these these players to get used to their characters right. first mm-hmm. um, but also i just think it's like more realistic to have to draw in you know uh, heroes to an adventure in subtle slow ways mm-hmm. and it, it's not always like a dragon is breathing fire on a village <laughs> and you need to like a bit, you know it's right. more like little like things you know um a child is missing or something you know uh, and it, that'll start the okay you know the hook rather than something more like violent Right. And do you, let's say, like, for the hypothetical child is missing, do you, would it be like this child is missing and then you discover, you find the child, but you realize that, oh, the people who were involved in the kidnapping are actually involved in some other stuff. And then it's like, each each tier up is like, oh, there's there's a bigger threat or there's more, um, there's more of a possibility of, I don't like, threat or challenge at each next level. That's like, oh, Mm -hmm. the people who kidnapped her are from like this local mafia group and uh-huh. then like you take care of them and then it's like like all the other sure, the family intrigue. Yeah. yeah right yeah no definitely i mean that's kind of when i first wrote my my like first thing that's kind of what i did you know honestly was like 
uh, even though that they figured, like it was a uh, children are missing thing, mm-hmm. even though it turned out they found the child and uh, the last child who was left alive and uh, discovered the evil beast that was responsible for it, that evil beast was only one part of a, like a larger scheme uh... of other beasts coming up and they're like, oh crap, now we need to like be responsible. Not only, and that was like, I like the moral dilemmas too. Right. You know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. now they had this child and it was like, we can try to raise this child on our own, or we can, like, give it over to uh, these, like, uh, knights, you know, to be raised by them, or we could just, like, she just wanted to, like, go off on her own, or we could, like, let her have that. So, like, that moral, I like all the moral choices sort of at the end of an adventure leading into the next thing, because then that helps me have an idea of where right. the players want to go. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. Have you... Have you listened at all to the Adventure Zone? Mm-mm. I really... I, I'm not, like, a huge podcast guy myself, okay. you know? Um, I, I, well, I've listened before, but I don't listen a lot, you know? Um, but I try to check out different little, like, RPG mm-hmm. podcasts every once in a while, try them out, but... Um, Honestly, it's just, it's almost like background for me sometimes, you know, I won't like yeah. listen, listen to them, it would yeah. just be like background noise, but, yeah. That, like, I, I was, ne- I never had any, like, any desire, <laughs> any, anything involving Dungeons and Dragons. Like, because yeah, you seem really interested in these days. Yeah, well, like, because I, I started listening to, oh, I don't know who got me into it, but I started listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me, which mm-hmm. is the McElroy Brothers, um. I think this is the first time I've talked about this on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they became a staple of, like, it ta- I have, like, a 40-minute drive to work. So I'll mm-hmm. just pop on one of their podcasts in the morning and, you know, like, mm-hmm. I can knock out one in a day, essentially. Um, and I started listening to their... I don't know how I got backwards into this. I think it may have been Anne-Marie was telling me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of fell backwards into their, um, their D&D, like, actual play mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I had, I think, I don't think that I ever thought about D&D in the way that I needed to, th- to think about it. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it really, it's collaborative storytelling. Right. It's essentially like you are, you're creating this world and you're populating this world and you have these sort of, at least the way that Griffin, when he DM'd it, you have these sort of like broad movements that mm-hmm. like, you know, that you're going to end up at point B, but it's sort of like you have to build it open enough to allow the players, the like, the freedom to do, mm-hmm. you know, we can go directly to B, or we're going to take this meandering, like, bass backwards way to get, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we killed this person that we should have not killed, and yeah. now it's like, well, you know, now I have I, to completely change. Yep. Um, but, like, listening to The Adventure Zone really got me interested in just, like, that like those worlds or that that aspect of like collaborative storytelling because that's never really something that I ever um like outside of D&D like that I that's not something that I ever really thought about like this is a viable way to like present mm-hmm. like fiction or present mm-hmm. narratives and to give it's like group improv essentially yeah. um which like I I never right. I I've only been playing DD for like two years, mm-hmm. and I before that had the complete probably like you complete wrong misconception of what it is. I thought it was something like, uh, like Warhammer, <laughs> where it's really all about like the figurines because that's all I knew about it was there right. was dice and there was figurines and 
people were really into like painting Warhammer back in the day, mm-hmm. and I thought, yep. maybe that's what the game is. You make these figurines and you act out stuff on a table, and like that doesn't seem really interesting to me. But like in college and stuff, I did a lot of like collaborative storytelling with my friends and stuff. We would do these like write these stories together and everything, and we. And just to realize now, oh, we could have been like doing it in like right. a sort of a structured way, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, well, yeah, it's kind of like, damn, right. <laughs> I knew that existed before. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I came from the opposite, you know. I came from like doing uh, collaborative story and improv and stuff with people in college, and being like, holy crap, like there's another way of doing right. it. You know? Yeah. Because um, I like in this, this might be a good segue, and I'll just. I'll, Put in an introduction at some other point but sure. like um it's really really difficult for me to write um narratively and i've, mm-hmm. I've talked i've talked about this on the podcast before with some other guests um who are fiction writers but it's it's unbelievably difficult for me to write narratives like story-wise narrative because mm-hmm. it's not i don't think that it's the way that i like i process things or that it's it's just like there's too much of a prolonged effort for mm-hmm. in order for me to to a, too much of a prolonged effort for me to to sustain in order to get something like that out. Yeah. But when I was in, I guess like towards the end of high school and the beginning of undergrad, um, and then kind of throughout undergrad, I was essentially like collaborative storytelling with a friend of mine. Like mm-hmm. not we were we would have these long chat sessions of just sort of like world building. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, it was like this sort of like. Um, like really like biting the styles of a bunch of different stuff but it was it was essentially that like um some of the elves that left during like the lord of the rings stuff Mm -hmm. got somehow like they didn't wind up in the gray havens they wound up someplace else some other like some other earth Yeah, yeah um and then they like got together with the local human population and had like half elf and then you know after generations and generations you have people essentially like everybody on earth is you know like part elf but at two varying degrees so mm-hmm. there's varying levels of like how much magic acuum mm-hmm. you have but after so many years a lots of like the old stuff has been have been yeah, lost um but there have been you know like more and more recently there have been people that have been exhibiting certain you know like pyromancers or hydromancers Ooh. or whatever uh-huh. um and the general public is freaking out about this stuff yeah. so think of like 80s 90s era x-men that you have like you have mutants essentially popping up and everyone's like i we don't know what the fuck to do with this um so there was that aspect there was like this ruling like russia in the 1800s or the (laughs) like the early 1900s so you have this like ruling oligarchy and then you have the workers that are trying to like rise up and the workers are like tapping into the like the mutant Mm, population um so then so it was all this like this turmoil of like over trying to overthrow this government, like communists essentially take over, like work Bolshevik takeover of this government, um, and the leader of that is being set up as the leader of this government and refusing to give up, essentially like a Stalin thing, refusing to give up power back mm. to the people, and it becomes this like new totalitarian thing, hmm. um, and. Um, well, it seems like you got the idea. Well, of yeah. Narrative. So, like, yeah. So, but and like, I I had tried a couple of times to write stories in this world, and I was like, I it it felt too, um, like I didn't I didn't know how much information because I wanted to just give all that information, uh, and I was I like, I don't know, I don't know how to like hint at the more the bigger world, um, 
but I, there was, um, a couple, I guess it was like a year or two ago, uh, when I went to Montreal with Morgan and she was getting a, a massive leg tattoo, <laughs> at one point it was, it gotten very, very painful, so she asked me to distract her by telling her a story. So I essentially told there her, the, like, the entire gist of this world. And then after, so it has been on my mind recently, and then after listening to The Adventure Zone, I started thinking, I was like, well, fuck, I kind of run a, want to run a campaign and I kind of want to pop, like, situate it in this world. Um, because part of part of the idea was that it would be pulling from other fantasy worlds. So you have, like, the Tolkien lore, you have mm-hmm. the sort of, like, X-Men lore, and then mm-hmm. um, there are a couple of characters from the um, the Amber Spyglass trilogy with Philip oh, yeah. Pullman. So, oh, totally, yeah. Um, there, was one, um, there was one character that had his daemon with him that... Like, because he, he wound up in this new world, like, his daemon, um, so I, I think it was, like, after a certain point when you age, people in that world, the, like, your your daemon sticks to a, a shape. Mm-hmm. For him, because, like, he went through this weird wormhole, like, the dust shit wound up in this other world, his was, like, had three forms that it could kind of, like, alternate back and forth mm-hmm. between, well, so it was, like, a, it was like a big cat... An eagle and a griffin. And so Ooh, just nice. sort of like hop between them. <laughs> but he was like a major figure in like the new revolution sort oh, of a okay, thing. Yeah. Um, but just thinking about like populating this or like setting up the first campaign in the sort of traditional like fantasy D&D world. But if the campaign continues moving, have the ability to like, okay, well, like if we keep moving with this, then you will eventually wind up in this other like Victorian steampunk Ooh, okay. Like other magic world, uh-huh. um, but so yeah, I don't know. Well, but, I'd say two like two things that I hear there that really resonate with me is like number one, like using what you know, mm-hmm. you know, like X Men, whatever Russian, <laughs> Russian <laughs> politics, like that stuff really helps narrative writing, mm-hmm. you know. And I found that players really like it when they can recognize your influences too. Okay. You know, like even though it might seem a little like silly, mm-hmm. they it's fun. Right. Like so I had one little adventure where it was pretty much uh Legends of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> they had like they found the parts of the the, the shrine of the silver monkey mm-hmm. and they had to like find the shrine yep. and assemble it there in the right like, right order and then, you know, escaping the tribal guards and all this, you know. So yeah. it was silly but they it was probably one of the most fun nights we had because as soon as it clicked with them oh my god this is like the feet of a silver monkey i know what this is this is like uh, you know yeah that was so much fun you know um and the other thing is uh the like um what was i starting to say oh the um the i don't know how to describe it so like the when when you're building a narrative and uh, you're not like sure like you you're building a big world you know around everything you don't necessarily have to tell them everything right. about it you know yes. and like it's sometimes that little bit of in, you know only knowing so much about it is what's really interesting yes um, and uh, and then. And then having the option of different worlds, I love. I I did that so many times. I mean, there's like you can come up with many different reasons. They walk through a portal, right? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I, you know, taking people to different worlds. You know, you don't feel like you have to be locked into that one right. theme, yep. genre, whatever that you've started in. You can go other places. And, and I I feel like having that option would 
like would allow the gameplay to not get to a point where it's stale. It's like you have all these characters working in this world that they really kind of understand and they, you know, mm -hmm. mechanics and the sort of like how to exist in this world. If you put them in another world, you really it's like okay, well you have these these characters that are like powered. Let's say you go through the portal and yeah. something goes wrong and like all your weapons are gone or like right, you're sure. you know, you uh -huh. you know, for some reason you're stripped of experience or yeah. you know. So now not only are you essentially starting over with your character but you're in a new world that you have to figure out of like oh we can't like we're dressed super weird right now and, <laughs> you know like maybe they don't speak the language the same yeah. you know or maybe it's like the the ways that are are courteous in this other place won't work here so uh -huh. it's there's a new a new amount of oh i now have to figure out how to exist in this new place mm -hmm. Yeah, I like I like using that both as like the challenge, like you're describing, like oh, you wake up, you have no weapons. And I also <laughs> like to do it with the, the like giving the players some influence on the story too. Like so, for like the Halloween night, I let them reskin their characters. Like they go through, they get pulled onto the ship, and as it they like change their just just like minor little physical like things. Mm -hmm. But it was fun to give them an influence on mm -hmm. what the challenge was right. too, you know? Like yeah. so it's like, you know, the one player wanted to look like an elephant. The one player <laughs> wanted to look like Predator. Like you know, it's like, sure, go for it, you know? Like, uh that's the kind of fun stuff. And then and then it almost becomes like when when they had to like give it up. It's like, oh really? Yeah. You know, they come attached to when you give players, or, you know, when you give anybody input into a story, they become attached to those right. characters. And they yep. want to, like, um, be part of that story to the end, yeah. you know? Um, and that just builds investment, you know, from yeah. whoever. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that, like, edu education has been on my mind recently. And thinking mm -hmm. about, like, giving students agency in what they learn. It's like, that's, the I think, the sure, the quickest way for them to be invested in their education. It's mm -hmm. like, if they have the ability to be like, oh... I'm interested in, like, collaborative storytelling. Mm -hmm. Like, well, okay, we'll do a fucking project right. on it. You know, like, get deep get deep into the things that you're interested in instead uh -huh. of, you know, but... Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, well, this is a good segue because, you know, that's part of what I do as a, as a job yeah. is, uh, you know, design curriculum for students. And I've... It, for me, I don't even know the the answer really, like because I've worked on both types of curriculum, mm -hmm. the like personalized, uh, you know that what you're describing is, you know, if I'm really good at, say, math, mm -hmm. um, I just get my math stuff out of the way, I pass those exams right away, and then I spend more time on the things that are more difficult for me to learn, you mm -hmm. know, and just personalizing education to right. students versus the like, you know. Um, everybody learns the same thing right like i see merits in both of those like ways of you know because if you don't if you don't sort of have that baseline right when you get out into the real world you fall behind from everybody else like if you yeah. don't know say what the supreme court is and then you go out there and people are talking about the supreme right. court you just have no i no way of it like that part of whatever general knowledge you just don't have right. you know um and if you were like per always personalized always studying the things that interest you you might never come across that thing. right yes um, uh, yeah I, I i agree and i i think that um i think that there needs to be like in in teaching i think that there should be either maybe not a course but just at certain point in the year or in in students education presenting them with that sort of that mm -hmm. that issue of like 
you might not be really interested in learning about civics or like learning sure. about yeah. you know um like algebra or whatever right. but they're like you there are certain things that you in general just need to be aware of because if you're not like you there's a like you said it's like you will fall behind or there'll be a gap or there'll be some something that you're missing that you either have to put in extra effort to learn by yourself mm -hmm. or you're just never going to know it, which is like more totally dangerous mm -hmm. um, of not understanding and like, oh, I don't know how this works. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't know. I, I think that there's, I think that there's a way that you could, that you could teach kids the tools of like, I don't know how this works. I'm going to figure that out instead of just like, I don't know how this works, whatever. Right. Um, right. Which I don't know. I feel like, Maybe one of the one of the better aspects of the internet um, is the ability, like just the ability that information is there, and mm -hmm. it's, you know, like you can find these things if you mm -hmm. search for it, or right. like you know, like there are tons of shit in InDesign I don't know how to do. Sure. So I will spend you just like find a video yeah, it's on like it. how to blank in InDesign, and mm -hmm. then you know, um, or like yesterday I was looking for, um, I was trying to, do you remember the old Windows like pipe screensaver oh yeah definitely. um <laughs> i'm i want to try to i'm trying to find a way to generate something that's like a um like right angle line pattern that's like random that i don't have to do myself so i i found i wound up in the like random walk generators or random walk simulators okay um and i was like i have no idea what this is but i spent like an hour and a half yesterday researching like random, random walk, walk. <laughs> you know like yeah. you're trying to make a dungeon map like this is mm, how you program true. something to figure out how to like how to make these random ways yeah, yeah. but um so we've been talking for close yeah, to half an hour okay. um uh i'm just going to jump in into an introduction screw it i'll put stick the song somewhere um <laughs> But hello, friends, uh, and welcome to 30 Minutes Into <laughs> Season 3, Episode 5 of So Poetry. Um, I am sitting here talking with a rad person and rad poet, Drew Robison. Um, Rob Robison, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, who, uh, as he said a little bit ago, um, and you, you're still working at uh, Words and... It's, it's called Wise Wire now. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, a, basically an, we work a curriculum development company that partners with a lot of the big publishers to put out whatever content they need um, downtown Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've gone through some title changes, <laughs> branding all over the last few years, but currently it's called Wise Wire. Okay. And you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were, I believe that I heard a little bit ago you were thinking about do, teaching maybe or um, was I was I, I okay. was I you know I was considering because I you know I I have no experience in a classroom yes. and yet I am trying to write teacher guides and oh. things like that and I mean I know a lot of teachers mm -hmm. um I've read a lot about pedagogy but you know I just don't have that practical uh experience and that's why I was sort of considering okay. it was just to you know get my feet wet doing that and to know as a teacher what I would want right. in, say, a teacher guide or whatever. Because, um, hmm. I mean, I, you know, I get a lot of great advice from past teachers and things mm -hmm. like that, but I just don't know exactly myself right. what you could do in, say, 40 minutes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. And I I guess I'll, do you want me to give some background on myself? Yeah, yeah, go yeah. for it. So, yeah, I mean, I... I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. I met Michael uh, through the creative writing grad school program at University of Baltimore. Um, 
we were both in the poetry genre. Mm-hmm. That's why we uh, sort of knew each other and we worked on each other's uh, thesis manuscripts and books. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I've I'm, I've been all over the writing spectrum though. <laughs> you know, you call me a poet, but I don't actually self-identify as okay. a poet. Okay, that was actually one of the questions uh, that I was going to that I was going to present to you, and especially in talking about like I mean, finding out about the collaborative storytelling you did in, in college and the, the uh-huh. like. The world building that you've done with D and D, like would you would you consider yourself just a, like a writer? Right, that's what okay. I would call myself as a writer. I don't get offended if people call me poetry uh, or call me a poet, and um, but I've you know I like to write in all different types of genres. Okay. So I just you know I like to call myself a writer. You okay. Know? Um, because you know, so I sort of. <laughs> like I bounced back and forth between genres so many times over my wow. life that uh and now I'm sort of in that narrative mm-hmm. fiction phase again of my life because <laughs> um, like so I started when I was very young uh I say the first thing I ever like was drawn to writing was I would make these little books mm-hmm. uh you know fold up some copy paper draw on them staple them of it was basically Poetry or uh, Pokemon fanfic. <laughs> uh, these like you know little stories. That is about the best place to start. Charmander and Bulbasaur hanging out one day, just what they did, you know. And I'd write it all out. Like it would be like the inside would be like lined pages, so I'd actually like write on the lines mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and so that was like my first. And then from there, like and then Harry Potter got really big, and I would write sort of these like magical stories about wizards and everything. Um, so a lot of my like uh, childhood was mostly writing narrative mm-hmm. fantasy, um, and okay. then around like eighth grade, early high school um, was when I sort of got exposed to poetry, and specifically like I guess you'd say political poetry. It was really the beat poets. Oh, um, okay. So like reading Allen Ginsberg and being in this. Um, I went to private school, mm-hmm. um, yet I had a lot of friends, and my, my ex-girlfriend at the time, was all they all went to public school. Mm-hmm. And so I would be hanging out with these, like, punk kids, and then going back to my, like, private Catholic school and being exposed to so much, like, racism, homophobia, yep. classism, all that kind of stuff, that I needed a way to vent my anger. And sort of political poetry became, it was this really angry teenage poetry, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was like, you know, my focus for probably uh, freshman, sophomore year, I was writing a lot of that. And then around like junior year, uh, I think is when I first read uh, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And so I thought at that point, maybe what I want to be is a journalist. Um, okay. And so I was writing a lot. I was like writing for the school newspaper and I was like writing uh, nonfiction, I guess mm-hmm. you'd in a way. It right. wasn't yeah, really yeah, yeah. nonfiction, but yeah. uh, in a, it was back to prose. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wrote that for years and then went to college. And so I went to this school called St. John's College in Annapolis, which is a great books program. A lot of reading, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
there, uh, I was reading a lot more fiction on the side, novel, short stories, that kind of thing, and, and writing that too. But then I started reading a lot more modern poetry, which is something I never really had read before. Mm -hmm. And that ignited, uh, like, again, a love of poetry, back to poetry again. But this time, more about, like, uh, it felt like beauty or reflecting on the human condition. It wasn't that sort of, I needed a way to vent, you right. know, it didn't feel like, uh, a relief when I wrote, it mm -hmm. felt more like a, um, shaping or a sculpting the way, you know, you, okay. you feel after you, you know, cook a good meal or something, you know, mm -hmm. it feels like you made something. Right. Um, and I that imagine was... that the poetry you were writing at that point was less, um, not like I, I imagine that like the, the poetry that you wrote when you were in high school like the political poetry is very much like there's a moral to it or like there's, oh, absolutely. there's like it like pedant like it's trying to teach you mm -hmm. something whereas the poetry that you wrote later was more sort of like the um like the literal definition of an essay is the sort of just like you're you're it's a contemplation or you're mm -hmm. just like you're you're entering into this into this space and you're kind of seeing like what what exists right in there Right, yeah. Just trying to, like, capture a moment or right. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was Yeah, that. And then, so that's that's when, um, as after undergrad, I realized, you know, I really want to get into writing. I want to actually, you know, work on my craft or whatever. And that's mm -hmm. what led me to grad school at University okay. of Baltimore in the poetry genre, specifically because I had, you know, from those last couple of years, just... Poetry, yeah, like mm -hmm. poems written that I could submit as a portfolio. Right. Um, and uh, but even though I there, I took fiction writing classes and stuff too. Oh, um, I don't think I do that. Yeah, um, I I did like this like world fiction writing. Oh, with, one, um, with Jane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah, you know, I it and then when we were with the nonfiction kids. It just felt like normal to me yeah. to like do multiple genres, mm -hmm. you know, and to. Um, even though we were in the poetry right. like track, yeah. um, and I knew I was going to like make a poetry book at mm -hmm. the end of the day, I liked having exposure to other genres right. too. I um, think if there is if there's one critique that I have about the MFA program, <laughs> and I I might only have maybe two two critiques, but one pertinent to this conversation, um, I really wish that they would have allowed um, hybrid thesis because mm -hmm. um, there was um how oh, was liz bamford um was i think like in fiction but she wanted to do like fiction and non-fiction um and I, it was from her that i found out this little tidbit so if there's any mfa people out there <laughs> um who you're working on your thesis this might be pertinent information for you that the the manuscript that you give to Kendra and Steve as your final manuscript does not necessarily have to be the manuscript that you make the book out of. Oh, okay. I think, or like, there's there's some some like. So they want the manuscript to be your genre. Yes. But then the book you make yourself can be your own. Thing. I think, or at least it's like that's sort of an unwritten like if uh -huh. you if you're not if they don't know then it's not because uh, like Liz for her when the thesis that she at least if I'm remembering this correctly the thesis that she handed in as her like her final project thesis um, was all fiction and her book contained two nonfiction pieces. Uh -huh. um, but I I really I think that that like. Like Anthony would have, I think, definitely done like nonfiction in poetry if yeah. given the option. Like sure. I feel like you probably would have done 
like maybe a combination of all like of all three of them yeah, or, or something or like having... for me it was nice to have the limitation okay you know on the other yeah. side for me it was nice to uh you know i think... you could you could really focus like your attention right. and your efforts into one thing instead of having like a bunch of stuff that's like half, half for, thought out for my first time like you know laying out something in indesign too right. it's just like it made it a lot yeah, easier yeah. at the end of the day um but um you know I like I like the idea of hybrid books for yeah. sure, you know. And um, I yeah, cuz I I think that I don't know. I cuz like experimental forms and yep. like play is sure. such a it's such a big part of of the program and I feel like in, in at least in this regard having it be like poetry, fiction or nonfiction, it really it's like that feels like that's the most traditional aspect of this program instead of like, you know, you can do cuz I probably like I would have done a poetry, like I don't write anything mm-hmm. else um but for people that dabble with other things that are like are trying to invent like they're a new style or playing around with stuff you know it's like you can you could do you could do multiple like we sure. read um were you in Aishin's class mm-hmm. the poetry nonfiction, weird hybrid thing mm-hmm. like we um les murray's um oh, something with the black dog it was killing the black dog yeah, I, think killing. I think yeah like the first chunk of it is it's either poetry, and then the second chunk is a nonfiction piece, or it's flipped. But it's like that book exists as like these are two different interpretations of this sort of experience that mm-hmm. I went through. And there's, um, like, there's information, and there's an experience, and like tonal difference that I feel in like they both they both convey the same thing essentially, but it's very different avenues that you mm-hmm. get. You know, it's like the poems are much more immediate and much more like. Oh, okay. You're dropping us right into your depression, and the <laughs> like. The essay is more of a like. It's more collected, and it feels a little more um, like in hindsight. Like I'm looking back on I can I can and I can tell you this like this story of, of what of what happened. Yeah. yeah. But so when you were um, when you were talking about your Pokemon fan fiction, um, <laughs> I I was looking for I don't know if you noticed, but I was looking I was trying to find something. Um, online and when you were in grade school did you ever use a program called storybook weaver no um so storybook weaver um you had like backgrounds and then you could populate it with like clip art sort of things Mm -hmm. and then you could write a story about it and you could have like multiple pages like three or four pages or hmm. more than that, or just, you know, like, this is the stuff that's happening in this scene. And yeah. then you turn the page, and it was this weird, like, <laughs> tinkling, like... It reminds me of those, like, very, like, it looks kind of like Doom, but bright <laughs> colors. Uh, yeah. And, and with, like, the text at the bottom, and the old, like, 16-bit graphics. Yeah, but, like, you could you make yep. a story about this. Yeah, right. Um, oh, that's great. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put this... I... <laughs> I, t- I had forgot about this this game, I guess, or program. I don't know what you would really call it, educational <laughs> game, um, yeah. for years. But I was maybe like a month or two ago. The um, Aaron from the Game Grumps in one of their playthroughs was talking about Storybook Weaver, and I was like, "Oh wow, my god, that's back. what it was called!" <laughs> um, so I'm gonna put that in the description if anybody wants to find some like some <laughs> some walkthrough or some let's plays <laughs> on YouTube of of uh, Storybook Weaver. Um, Okay, okay, so, 
But yeah, I really liked, what I liked, which was part of the reason that drew me to this the program at UB, was um, like making books. Oh, yeah. Like actually making them. That's, like that. that's the reason I applied to it. Weirdly, like, you know, all my life I've been like making these little things and uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't like, I didn't even like, I think I got like one book from the library, I remember as a kid, of like how to make books. And it was like this is way too complicated. <laughs> I'm just going to use staples, you know? <laughs> um, you were making zines. But yeah, you were, you were, making, on, right, you were was, on the forefront of the zine, zine culture. I, yeah, I had no idea what zines were either. <laughs> I mean, when, yeah, when I got to like high school and like going to those punk shows and seeing all the zines out on the table, I was like, Oh my God, other people do this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. Um, that's wild. Yeah. It's still like, you know, having that now, um, you know, even though, most of my writing is on the computer, I would say. I still like to make books, you know, yeah. with my hands. Um, and I like what I've been doing a lot these days, which is cr- kind of going along with, like, the, the role-playing games, is um, trying to make, like, little, like, board games, too. Like, I've been kind of thinking oh. of myself these days... Even though it's a lot of writing, you know, I'm like actually writing words on a page or whatever and drawing things. Um, I like to think of myself as like a designer in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, you know, that what I'm doing when I'm playing D&D or mm-hmm. DMing or I'm um, playing, making a board game or whether I'm just sitting at the computer writing down my thoughts from the day. I like to think of like designing everything. You yeah. Know, I'm looking for a sort of aesthetic and I... It's uh, it's becoming more and more visual for me um, okay. than a lot of that like heady sort of poetry that I was like doing earlier. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Have it's... you have you looked at or researched at all like visual poetry? Yeah, I mean that's that one. I mean that's like the weird that one. Remember when I was making those like motion poems at UB? Oh yeah. They were basically like gifs of like yeah 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 words appearing and disappearing and stuff. Um, there's always been that draw for me. To, yeah. Like to make it's about what you see as much as what you like hear hear in your head when you're right. reading the words. Yeah. You know? Which um, I feel like like the first um, like the interactive hypertext. Right, you know, poems yep. or stories that like getting into that. I mean, and I I think that I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. That might be m- more of a poetic influence because, like, with poetry, sure. it's like you are so much concerned with how the poem looks on the page. Right. Um. That there, you know, it's like with with prose, it's it's more of a just is it is it readable right. there's not a necessarily like there's not an aesthetic of like oh mm-hmm. a line break is going to happen here or you're going to have like all this extra space around right. it's just like i mean at least in my experience it, the 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 prose writers that i've talked to there's much less of a consideration of like how their words actually look on it because in, in every different um like if it was designed by somebody else, like the lines could be sure. longer, the yeah. paragraphs could be shorter, and you know it's like, and it's just for me at least, it seems that it's the the important thing is having is is if the information is there. Mm-hmm. Whereas with poetry, there's like, if you format it a particular way across all of the other media that this thing could exist, it's like it should maintain that format. Otherwise, you lose some vital aspects about mm-hmm. like because I you know like I've seen um, some like weird like published stuff from like Mary Oliver that has 
you know, like in her books that is like you know like the first line's not indented the second line is and then the third line's a little bit further and the fourth okay. so it has this uh-huh. sort of like step pattern i've seen those like sinner justified or you know like all right justified and there's some there's some aspect of the poem that's like there's a there's a lyrical quality or visual lyrical quality of it that huh. is totally gone yeah. in this presentation of it um but yeah that's wow that would be i don't i don't know if anybody's really doing like internet poetry now or if it's that's kind of died a little bit yeah i mean it was it was a big thing yeah there for a while um i honestly don't i don't have my finger on the, on the <laughs> pulse <laughs> enough to know but uh, i'm sure people are still doing it um yeah. and i'm sure it's going to evolve um into apps like that's where i see a lot like oh. i'm like when i when you pulled up that story we were thing that's what i think of i think of like you know your your next novel isn't a book it's an app and it, it gives you an experience huh. you know through writing video whatever stuff's on, on there um that's because i you know it, it's i just see this blending of technology right. and um you know, the, you know how great it is that you can carry a whole library in your pocket. Um, yeah. And you know, I you know, I can see artists taking advantage of that. You know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just you know, and giving giving people, you know, back to something we were talking about earlier, giving people a way of influencing the stories that they read, you know, that they can actually, with a static book, you can't really do that. Right. You know, you, there's those old, like, choose your own adventures where it's like flip to page 25 or whatever. But with an app, you can almost make everybody who's reading a book yeah. have a different experience of that book. Um, I don't know. It's something cool. Which I feel about. like, I feel like old, like, point and click or, like, text-based adventure games mm-hmm. are kind of like you could see them in that in that realm of like these are like these are collaborative books right right in a way uh huh. yeah that you will at least you're you are influencing how you experience the book you right know? yeah yeah um, it's like, it, everything's yeah, user... already there but yeah you know yeah um, which i guess like the more um the more sandboxy video games that are coming out Uh or like um like the new zelda to an extent it's like you have the story laid out you know it's like you have to save zelda or like you have to defeat ganon but there's like an infinite variety of ways that that you could go about like you could you could jump off the plateau as soon as you get the the glider and go face ganon Mm -hmm. you'd probably die immediately but you could like you could do it (laughs) you could you know or you could spend your time getting all the shrines first and they do it so you know it's like there's um which I feel like, I, I, I definitely think that there's going to be a weird sort of intersection between, um, like, games that are, like, almost procedurally generated in that regard. That there is, like, or, like, I guess Skyrim. It's, like, there's never an actual end. Like, there's an end of, the, like, the main plot, but there's not an actual end to the game because there's always, like, extra shit mm-hmm. that you could do. But if you have, like, and maybe... I wonder if video games like companies are would hire or would be more willing to hire writers if things continue to happen like that that like you get you just you now have like your job is to just continue to write the stories for this game as you know like for each new like DLC or each new aspect uh, yeah. of it you know but right. yeah that's, that's that'd be interesting I don't know I never I've never thought about 
games in that or like you know an app in that regard it's like this is a this is a book right well it's like a, a medium that right. literature could go into yeah you know the way that literature you know of influences movies you right know, people make movies of 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 books or you know that kind of thing so if there if there was somebody who wrote and i'm thinking of like um oh fuck whoever wrote house of leaves um mark oh yeah something mm -hmm. um but like a, a presenting like let's say a, a book like that was presented as an app like there's there, it did not exist in any other format except for this app would you personally consider that app a book a book right yeah that's that that's a tough <laughs> one you know that's you know maybe uh maybe i would be hesitant to but like uh the future generation wouldn't even blink an eye yeah. you know like they'd be like yeah of course that's a book like all my other books are right are on yeah my phone like you know but we just we see we think of book as that like the physical paper, yeah. yeah thing um it's it, uh when it's not a paper book it's something else right you know it's yeah, become an, its an own right, right yeah uh medium Wait, um, and that was um when i was in meredith's um bookmaking class um, that was something that we, or maybe when I was, it, it was when I was like TAing for one of them, but there was a discussion of like, well, what, like if eBooks exist now, like what, like how, one, how do you define a book? And then two, like, what would, like if eBooks exist now, like what, it, what are the, what's the point of a physical book or like, mm -hmm. what's, why would you still utilize that? And I think that that's a really interesting discussion that like, I remember when like the Kindles and stuff came out, people were freaking out. It's like, oh, like paper paper books are gonna die, and it's like, well, no. Like you like, there's always gonna be a group of people that <laughs> like that want the physical thing, and right. you know, and then there will be people that like that don't, and you know, it's like you can have thousands of books in one e-reader, right? Um, right. and but. I don't know. I think I think that there's. I think that with the advent of e-readers, like physical books, there's more of a space for them to be to exist as like. Like mass-produced artist books that like you know that if you get a physical book that every, every aspect of this thing has been thought out and leads to a particular, like it leads to a very a particular experience with whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. reading. Um, which I don't know. I, th I feel like with e-readers it's more of a, just like, I want, like, I want the story. I don't really care how it's delivered to me. It's, I just like, I, the story is the thing that's important to me, not the, mm -hmm. like the carapace of it. And I feel like people who want the physical books, it's like the carapace is as important to, to them as the story itself right. or the poetry or whatever it is, right. is, um, yeah. although do you, so I've heard that it's been, um, and this was, a, I guess, a couple of years ago, and I've not, I've not done any research recently on this, but I've heard that it's, it's di very difficult for poetry to exist in an e-reader format because of, oh, I'm sure, yeah, just like the like, reformatting it, right? And... Yeah, and making sure that like you can see, you know, like if you're dealing with the page, you can see the entire poem on the page instead of having to like move oh, it around. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Do you think that there's going to be a point that poetry will make the jump to like a, or a more more of an or that e things will be will have more of an embrace of poetry 
or do you think that that's will be tending more towards like the physical the pros yeah or yeah i don't i mean i don't know i think that when it makes the leap what it will be will no longer be what we consider like poetry in a book you okay. know like it will probably evolve into something else mm -hmm. um and because it it needs to fit within right. the presentation you yeah. know um so when you know it might not we might not even call them poems anymore you know they might they might be called like um you know mobile texts or something <laughs> i don't know but you know yeah there's just, i think that it it will the gist the of poetry mm -hmm. will definitely be accessible in an ebook like format but i don't think it'll necessarily be like poems anymore you okay. know um and that yeah it just like, like things things that that do the same things that poetry like poems do but just in a, a format that right. is not not what we would traditionally consider poetry poetry right yeah um huh. just cuz i think you know that um like you said like poetry is really all about like the page and um a lot of times you there, when there is no page anymore it's mm -hmm. just not maybe a poem anymore you know um then yeah they cuz like i don't know the for me, for me, the reason I love, I'm drawn to physical books is just simply like, I, my job is reading on a computer all day. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I want to do is go home and read on the computer. Right. You know, I want to like, it just from the sake of my eyes, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. It, it feels like it's like a, it's a break. It's a welcome break right. for, yeah. And I think that's. You know, that's also why there's been this, like, renaissance of board games and tabletop games in general, I think, these days, is that people spend so much of their time interacting with other people through the computer mm -hmm. that this is a way for them to interact in person oh. with people, you know, to yeah. sit back down at a table and talk and, yeah. like, see so, like, other people, you Yeah, know? like, so board games are the new, like, front porch right sure yeah exactly it's a it's a way to get people together yeah um because so much of our time is like isolated behind a screen um and that that's what you know that's why i think um books physical books won't ever go away because there will always there's you know there's always sort of that the new technology and then the reaction to it you know right. and i feel like Computer, you know, computers aren't going away. So right. because they're not going away, I don't think physical books will go away. Right. Because there'll always be the reason to disconnect. You know. Right. Um, yeah. Simply because we're humans and we don't really like. Yeah. Unless unless we you know become something <laughs> like else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but and I, I we'll do always want that. And I think that that's that's I think a really salient point because I imagine that like as technology becomes more and more ubiquitous, more and more people will be like online more more of the time right so in that respect i think that like the like physical books or like board games or some something that takes you out of that virtual or digital space will be much like will grow in importance mm -hmm. like exponentially like yeah. as as you become more connected these things will grow in like like oh yeah you know like i'm going to i will i'm consciously disconnecting to go do this thing and it's mm -hmm. like i cherish this thing because you know, it's like it's my one time a week that I, I don't have to be fucking right. online or, you right. know, like plugged into to anything. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so we talked to you mentioned a couple of this, a couple of things or 
a few things regarding this question, but um, like aside from the beats, who were like who were your big influences, or what like potentially another way of asking this is like, have you noticed major shifts in your writing, and if so, were, were there any particular like groups of writers or a particular writer that like sparked off that that change or that shift? Hmm. Um. That's a good question. So, yeah, I mean, I mentioned a few of my influences when I was younger, um, but the the poet that I read in college that really inspired me was Wallace Stevens. And he sort of um, opened up my eyes to seeing poetry much differently than um, sort of the like classical way of viewing poetry. Um, okay. It was more of this um, intellectual uh, sort of uh, experience um, rather than simply being like uh, sensual or maybe emotional. It was like, okay. I was like, oh, like poetry can be like about like the mind too. Yeah. Um, and so that, that definitely influenced my writing um, for good or bad. Um, and then... I think, um, so that's sort of when I went into undergrad with this sort of like probably too intellectual type of poetry. And then while, while I was there, I think one writer, one writer who kind of gave me the freedom to be funny too was oh. Dean Young. Um, that was another thing that I never, like, I had read some, like, Ogden Nash and stuff in undergrad, like, really silly, like, right. rick kind of poetry. But yeah. um, Dean Young just had this sort of, like, uh, he was both, like, serious and funny and just the way he, the weird words that would pop up in there and, like, it just, it made me, it gave me, like, a night, like, uh, I was like, oh, wow, I can write like humorously that's right. like something yeah, that yeah. i never really did before either you know for me poetry was like kind of serious mm -hmm. and uh i was like oh my god like i can i can it, re it felt really good to read poems in front of an audience and have people laugh you know like mm -hmm. that was and then i was like that completely changed I think, <laughs> a lot of the like my writing style yeah. there too was well, um, yeah i do because i remember um in thesis like we're like you know thinking back to some of your poems and those it's like they were they were humorous and I remember um, the the quickly stifled pang of envy of like because writing humorous especially poetry humorously is incredibly difficult for me to do when when somebody yeah. does it and seemingly does it effortlessly I'm like you you bastard <laughs> like how the hell how do you pull this off but wow yeah I think and it was I, reading a lot of funny poetry yeah. that helped me um was and then and then reading then writing it and then reading it in front of an audience and getting their reactions yeah. to help not only confirm you know what's funny mm -hmm. but gave me sort of a motivation to keep trying right. it you yeah know? and i imagine that 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 form of um you know like immediately immediate gratification gratification feedback of like i'm writing something that's funny and they're mm -hmm. laughing at something that's funny like that like yes yeah Right. And, and as a side note, too, so, like, I have, um, I had some friends who were doing stand-up comedy for a while, and, um, I, it was really interesting to see the evolution of a joke there, oh. you know? So, like, from the, like, first time they would pitch, you know, mm -hmm. a joke, 
and then do it in front do it in front of an audience and see the audience's reaction to it and then use that to inform the next way they told the joke oh. and then over that cycle like repeat it's like editing mm-hmm. for for comedy right yeah it's know? like a workshop yeah yeah uh, and then eventually the joke got to a point where it became like a bit you know it was like oh. a a solid thing you know that they could just you know of course it would change in little ways right. depending on the audience but it was almost like they developed a unit a poem a story right. whatever a, a bit you know they had like through this editing process like made wow. a joke you yeah. know and so that, that was just it to see that and be like oh like i can find an analogy there with like poetry right. you yeah. know um reading it in front of an audience and getting their reaction and then editing it to like however you know right. um not that you know you just want to do everything for the audience but like right it helps make it more like a solid piece. Yeah, yeah, and day. you can gauge where, like, where people are engaged, where they're dropping out. Uh-huh. Um, I, the most recent guest that I had, uh, Olivia Hall, um, I want to say mentioned something along those lines of like using the audience, maybe not in so many words, but like essentially using the audience as like the editing, the right. the editing yeah. room because you know, like, if you're if you're doing spoken word um, or slam poetry, mm-hmm. it's like you have you have that immediate interaction with like like i and it you know in, in in competitions and stuff it's like you it necessitates the audience being engaged right. and connected to your work and you really get a sense of like oh okay like this is this is the line of the poem that everyone you know like applauds yeah. for or shouts out <laughs> at and then you know like there's another like maybe this line's not hitting so much or right. like oh, i'm not i don't know how i feel about this line and then you read it and it gets a, that immediate big reaction like okay this mm. is you know i feel feel better about this right but just like comedians, though, like it can change from night to night. You know, some nights that thing's a killer, and yep. some nights it just falls flat. <laughs> and, and how do you know it's really like, you know, bad? You know, that one night that it fell flat, that doesn't mean it's a bad joke. You right. know, but why did it fall flat and like that kind of stuff? So I um experienced this a little bit with um the handful of plays that I've been in, and and kind of getting. Uh, yeah. Because um, one of the plays that I did, that I was in was Midsummer, which like as Shakespeare, there's that immediate sort of like, they're like it's riddled with jokes, but <laughs> you know like you have to present it in the way that to tell like, it like a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did uh, when I was in I think I think this was my my last year of thesis um, was in The Shape of Things at UB, okay. and there were some like funny moments in yeah. that, or just you know like moments that are shocking that you know audiences will will gasp at. Um, and it was really interesting to see like what, like which night and which audience was the most, was the warmest to it was the sort of like they're engaged, but they're not really like, cause you, like you can tell the difference between not engaged silence and engaged silence. Sure. There's like a, there's oh, a tension absolutely. when, when people are rapped, but they're just like, they're not saying anything. So, uh-huh. you know, like, Oh, I think it was. I think we opened on a Friday night. We had a Saturday night show and then like a Sunday matinee. So Friday night, it was it was real cool. Like the reception to it was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Sunday or Saturday night was a blast because people had gotten into wine a little bit early. So they you know so they were like they were <laughs> warmed looser, up. They were yeah. a little looser. Um, they were interacting. And then Sunday, I think it was sort of like people didn't react, but you could tell they were they were paying attention. Um, and it was it was interesting. Like I want to say for that Sunday night, like after doing, like a Saturday night and telling like some of these moments, they got uproarious laughter. Have like playing that same, like saying that same line and have it be nothing, and you're like, 
okay, well, we just, hey, we just got to move on, yeah, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's really I. I think that presenting poetry live is such a like. There's so much more of a consideration of I think the audience than if you are like if you're writing a book and you have a person reading a book. Sure. Because yeah. um, you can kind of almost count on someone's undivided attention when they're reading a book you know because it's just them and your words and that's Uh that's the transaction but when it's a big audience like anything can be happening in there and it's up to you to kind of command the attention and command the energy and direct it Mm -hmm. certain places um well it definitely takes practice oh yeah yeah the first couple times you get up there in front of an audience it's nerve-wracking but um, but yeah, I, that's the tough part is those moments when like something goes wrong, you yeah. know, or, you know, someone trips over a chair and causes <laughs> a loud, how do you react to that in the right. moment, you know? And that a lot of times define how people either get back engaged in your thing or not, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and yeah, that's, that's the tough part. Cause that, that's like a lot of like, it's almost like, uh, to me, it's like what a teacher needs to do. You know, I don't actually know, but you know yeah. that they're up there and they need to react in the moment at, as things happen in the classroom and with their students' attention and everything. You know, oh, fuck, I like how how is this not how are teachers not required to take at least an at least one improv class? <laughs> like, because I like I think that that. Because I I never really thought about it in, in that regard that like you 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 are essentially your teaching is a is a performative role right um, and that some people like don't react well and it's like everything they have to have everything like planned out and as soon as mm-hmm. one thing goes wrong it's like you're mm-hmm. like I mean I don't know if you had a teacher like this I I had a couple that like you could ask them a question or get them telling a story and then like, that's it. Like half like (laughs) class is done. You know, it's like, they're just, they're in their own, you know, um, definitely. But like, I, I, I wonder, I, I really wonder if that would affect or how that would affect, um, teachers in the classroom or just maybe like, uh, comfort in the classroom if they've taken like an improv or like an acting or something that involves them to, or requires them to be, like essentially willing to just go with the flow and like mm-hmm. understand how to navigate those moments and that energy and that time. And like, if like, if things derail, it's like you got to get them, you right. have to get them back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, generally speaking, you know, uh, humans have trouble sometimes. Well, some people have an easier time with change than others, yes. you know, and change is always difficult. And you know, that, I think in a lot of ways, improv is good just for that, you know, to be comfortable with things changing and knowing that, you know, uh, when when you have this grand plan in your head and it doesn't go according right. to that plan, it's not the end of the world, yeah. you know, things will still get done. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, and I don't know, I think teachers will learn it, you know, they, learn <laughs> it, they have to get learn it one way or the other. Uh, yeah. Whether they take an improv class or not, but yeah, yeah. they, um, it's definitely something about teaching that like I had not really considered before, you yeah. know, is that it's a lot of, a lot of the job is reacting to your audience, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
And that's why sometimes it feels silly for me to write these teacher lesson plans because I know a lot of teachers are just going to throw them out the window, you right. know, anyway. Um, yeah, or like, they, yeah, they take the, the gist and then they kind of, right. yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't have to count it down to the minutes of what exactly needs to happen in a class because who knows what will happen in those five minutes. You right. know, some kid might throw up. And <laughs> you, you don't, you know, yeah. you lost those five minutes. How do I get back to the, this one topic? You know, don't worry about it, you know. Yeah. Um, I just I just had an interesting thought when you were talking about like improv and change and in that regard it feels like improv is almost at the heart like a Buddhist practice yeah. the, the understanding of like the or like the the at least in the sense of like perception versus reality and like understanding the things that you have control over and the things that you don't have control over because right. in those moments of like when you're in like an improv skit and it's it's you're totally just freestyling you have no control over anything other than like your reactions and like uh -huh. your what you say in these situations because right. it's up to everyone else to figure out like how this thing is going. Um, and I, you know, I imagine that it's it's easy like if you can get into that state quicker or more comfortably of like, all right, like I'm just I'm a part of this. Right. Like there's shit happening. I have no control over it. I'm not gonna sweat it. I'm not gonna freak <laughs> out about it. It's just like this is happening and. Like I can control what I'm doing right now, yeah. and then that moment passes. You're like, okay, this right. this will. Yeah, detaching yourself from from uh, especially your own creations, you know, like when you're writing is oh, very yeah. difficult. Um, yeah, and... how like going back to the to like D and D story create or world creation, is it difficult for you? Like, if you have this this big story and you have characters <laughs> that are like players that don't want to go the way that you want them to go is it difficult to to allow them to just like to just go with it to or with it. Yeah. Do, you, do you try to corral them back to the main story or um it depends on what it is i mean so you know like in the in my most recent campaign i had this this whole like pathway sort of pathway and they definitely did not go in that pathway um but like yeah i had you know i had all this other sort of world parts of the world built that they never even got to mm -hmm. and like sure it was like disappointing that we didn't get there but at the same time for me it was kind of like um oh like this is kind of good it's kind of like I have more oh, the, in, yeah. out there than they even got to. It's kind of like the I already have volume two in my mind, you right. know, or something like that. Yeah, that um, you can always so, you can reuse it for something else because they never they never did whatever exactly they were supposed to. exactly. Okay. It's not like it's gone, you right. know. It's always there, um, and that's that's for me like sort of the. Um, why I don't get upset when they don't go according to plan is because that stuff's always there and it could always come back later. You know, right. I did, I did that. I, one, one completely thing they like totally went right by came up later, you know, oh. it didn't have to like disappear forever. Right. I can find ways to weave things back together. Yeah. Um, and if it's like, cause it's a thing I felt like was valuable or like, right. you know, I was kind of attached to that story. Yeah. I wanted them to meet this person. Um, yeah. Which I just, when you were saying that, just made me think of, like, the the big shift in my understanding of revision um, was, one, an aspect of the big shift was that, like, if you have a really killer line in a poem that doesn't work with that poem, you can just take it out and put it, put it somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yep. It's like, you don't have to just, you don't have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Like, if it's really killer and it's great, but it just doesn't fit, like, you can, like, 
it, it will exist in some other format in some other poem that you've probably not written yet or mm-hmm. you may have written that's like it's missing that thing um, yeah. but that yeah that, that idea that like just because you don't use it for this thing doesn't mean that you can't ever use it or that you have to just like like chuck it and right. it's just it's done right it's like no yeah yeah right you still do it I mean I have so I have many more documents of that <laughs> just like stuff that I didn't I removed from something else, but I didn't want to delete it, you right. know, and it's just a bunch of little snippets, and I go back through, I'm like, what, what even me, where did they even come from? <laughs> but it's cool to see that, you know, yeah. to have that stuff, um, and that's actually, that's a lot of the way that my writing process actually works, is I would say... Which is another question I was going to ask you Yeah, about. I would say the way I write is, um, first I start in like a notebook, and I, you know, when things come to mind wherever I collect sort of writing okay. in physical paper notebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes do that on the computer too. You know, if I'm at the computer and I don't have my notebook, you know, I'll make a Word document for that kind of scrap stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have that. And then, you know, later, it could be weeks, months, years, I'll come back to those notebooks and I'll dig through them and I'll sort of be like, oh, that... I remember this when I wrote this, like now I'm going to like capture that moment Mm -hmm. in uh, an actual piece or something. And then that's when you make the new uh, document and start writing that thing out from there. So I may copy over what I wrote. I may just rewrite the same idea Mm -hmm. in different words, you know, Um, that kind of thing. And then so once it's in that stage um, is where I will like, It'll either be like that as part of the editing, you know, mm-hmm. is the transfer from the paper to the right. Word document. Yeah. Um, as I reread it, I'll edit it, that kind of thing. But that's kind of my process is this weird sort of collecting, archiving, uh, recording my life in these paper notebooks and then coming back to them way later and okay. extracting what I feel yeah could be an actual it's like piece. it's like you're making wine it's like you collect, sure. you collect these things and you put it away and just let it sit for right. a while and then when it's it's ready you go back and like yep. you taste it you're like eh, it's not <laughs> ready yet <laughs> which was a lot different than the way i wrote as a kid where it was like in the moment passion feelings gotta get them out mm-hmm. word vomit type of writing right um which i still like to do that i still like to do the like stream of consciousness writing Mm -hmm. but it often is hearkening back to something that i wanted to capture before yeah Um, and part of it is that process of figuring out like why did i even write this down you know uh what did i mean to say here and trying to tease that out right um yeah yeah. i so like could you could you just free write for like five or ten minutes and just I probably could. Yeah, I probably could. Um, I, I, I hate... You hate whenever, that? Whenever yeah, that, we were, that assignment. Like, yeah, because yeah, like... And I was just thinking about like why why that's difficult for me. And I think it's a similar reason of... Um, like prose writing where it's there's a sustained effort that I have to... That right. I had to put in that it's mm-hmm. like I just... I can't maintain that. Because right. like when I, when I write poetry so my process is a lot of like um it's really subconscious for me that like i will something will happen usually 
and my subconscious will just kind of go to town on it and it'll like it'll I'll mull it over it'll get mm-hmm. like worked through and then slowly you know like you know, after a day or a couple of weeks or a month or whatever it'll slowly sort of like the lines or the stems of the poem will slowly start like bubbling back up into my head mm-hmm. and i have like almost the complete thing of it usually um and then you know like i'll write it down there might be like a gap where there's a particular word that i need to figure out and it's like the rest of it's like you know bumping up against it ready and waiting until i get mm-hmm. that one word and then i get the word and then the rest of it's sort of like it continues you know it's like it's um, like a record that's stuck, like it keeps playing the same thing until you fix it and, mm-hmm. then, it, and then it can move on. Um, but when I'm actually f- physically writing poems, I will write them usually first, like handwrite them in a notebook. But I tend to take really, really long pauses with that to allow my like my subconscious, if it needs to catch up or if it needs to still kind of ruminate on like, there's a stanza that's happening that's not fully formed and okay there it is and it'll, mm-hmm. it'll come up so to to like force myself to write non-stop for five minutes is like i don't have enough like content in my head at any <laughs> given time to to sustain five minutes or just prolong like because mm-hmm. it'll like it'll either be just the same sort of stuff repeated over and over again or i'll like i'll write out a couple of things and i'll be like i got I got nothing. It's just like there's a tumbleweed rolling through my head right now, and I got I don't I don't have any I don't have any more fuel for any of this. Yeah, I'd say um, yeah, that's one. I'd say that that's that's kind of the process for uh, poems, mm-hmm. really. When I when I start writing a poem, I often don't know where it's going to end. Yeah, you know. Um, Whereas with narrative writing, I always have that end first. Oh, and um, it's just a matter of writing, writing to it? Writing to it, right, oh, exactly. And that's wow. why the sustained effort is probably Because you easier, know where, right? you, where you want to go. I, I, right, I, it's like oh. running on a trail or something, you know, like I'm... It feel I can't get off uh, too far off the tracks because I kind of have a goal in mind, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that you know I can take several ways to get there, you know. Um, huh. And that that's something that always I always sort of when I when I write a story or whatever I'll make an outline, you know. Oh, I'll always okay. sort of be like these are like the things I want to hit on, um, mm-hmm. and because um, that's the way when I went to write my first uh, D&D thing ever, like, I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. All I had... uh, All I had was my experience playing with Mm -hmm. Anthony. I had, like, the player starter kit, which comes with, like, a little story booklet, which was, like, you know, a bunch of, like, goblins and whatever. It wasn't, like, very, like, what I wanted to do, you know? So I had no idea what to do. And so that's what I just sort of did was, like, here's... Here's where I want to end, and like mm-hmm. um, I'm just gonna like build backwards from there, um, and sort of that's the tough part about playing in ahead for what they're gonna do. You know, maybe they don't get really far away from where you want them to go to the end, and it's not really for me a matter of directing them back, but figuring out like the new end. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just to always have the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this actually gonna? Um, culminate in like right. how will i know the story's over right you know um and that always sort of helps and i imagine that if you if you have an idea of where you it needs to end or like if you you can you can still kind of like you can still get to that ending but in the individual steps of like if they go if they wildly veer off course you're mm-hmm. like well i still know that it needs to go this way so this next thing 
can happen and then this next thing can happen sure. and it's like and it can continue to trend towards this way until right. you know like i might be able to get back onto the main track or like this now it's we're just going to be off-roading until you know <laughs> like we will still wind up in the same sure yeah i mean the other the one when, when i free write like that though it's not really with right. an yeah, end yeah, in yeah. mind it's when i do that what i would often do is um just try to pick like a tone or like a voice, you know, like, because uh, okay. that really helps me is if I can imagine myself as like a character, mm -hmm. say, and uh, just the type of words they would use mm -hmm. and the way they would phrase things that helps me write uh, a sustained, you know, yeah, just yeah. whatever, because I have it's I just imagine I am that person and I'm talking about whatever I wanted to talk about. And yeah, then I can just you know, flow out from them, you know, what they would say. Uh, right. Um, and I, I like that. I always like, I like reading narrative that has a really strong voice like that. Okay. You know, that really feels like uh, it's coming from um, some, you know, it's not just like a newspaper article. Right. Where it's yeah, staying, yeah, yeah. It's just describing the facts of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I like to, I like a really strong voice like that um, because, and then I, feel like I'd like to write like that too, you know, with a it coming from some sort of um, person. Um, and yeah. you can identify, as a reader, you can sort of uh, identify with right. that voice, yeah, yeah. you know, it, you can hear it a certain way in your head. Um, I've, I've experienced that a lot with, um, actually, well, two <laughs> yeah, of the books, the, um, Raymond Carver for me. Oh like, yeah, all, exactly. Like, yep. The fact that his, like, I guess in a sense, like, his characters kind of sound similar because there is, like, a certain, like, brusqueness and, mm -hmm. you know, like... But they all feel, like, different, like, individual different characters to me. Like, maybe, let's say, they're all, they all come from, like, the same Midwestern town where they're sure. not super forthcoming with information. But, um, yeah, like, every, every time that I read one of his short stories, there's definitely a sense of, like, I can it's easy for me to imagine them as a real, as an actual person because the voice or the tone or whatever, the presentation of it feels like it's so emotionally true. Mm -hmm. But so when you, when you write characters, are you, is it a, is it a, for you, is it a, a, situ a situation where you have essentially like two, two characters that you just put together and you just let whatever happens between them happen or do you try to embody like the character themselves if you're writing and then like so if you have like two characters in a dialogue are you hopping back and forth between being in the head of one and being in the head of other in the other or do you is it more of like you're kind of watching a movie and you just you have these two characters that you have an, kind of an idea of how they are and mm -hmm. what they would do and you just put them somewhere and you just you just record like what the the situations that they generate yeah uh i don't know i mean it depends on what what style i'm really going for i'd say for me the easiest is this like a single character you know? okay coming from a single character's point of view the balancing back and forth is sometimes hard sometimes for me um and i find the step back that just like observing what's going on is kind of like boring for me sometimes okay. to write and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'd rather be like invested at least from like one perspective that like limited third person or something I like that I like to write like that okay um, because it, it it's for me the um what I like to read too mm -hmm. and it's it just sort of the way 
I feel like it's most authentic sometimes to like the human experience, you know, because you're only getting stuff from your perspective, right. you know, there's no, unless you are like you, a Buddhist monk, you really don't have that like objective perspective <laughs> right. on the world. You're always sort of like invested in right. things, yeah. attached to things. Yeah, um, it's, it's always centered in you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so is it, is it, do you prefer writing that to like a limited third person narrator versus like a first person yeah i do i i like that little bit of space you know um because it it doesn't like you can you can put yourself in i like is it that you can put yourself into them but you don't have to fully embody like like an actor you don't have to it's like it's not i i don't have to become the eye i can just sort of like Mm -hmm. i can eavesdrop on their thoughts exactly okay and it's a little bit more like i just feel like Sometimes my own like experience is like that too. You know, as much as I am an I, I'm also trying to think about what other people right. are experiencing too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I I just find that first person for me is really hard to write because I'm I want to inject like other things outside going on too um, that that person might not actually even you know be right. observing so, themselves. So, so the first person would be like too limiting in right that, it's in right that. Okay. too myopic too like okay um yeah if i were like i i don't mind reading first person stuff but oftentimes i feel like i'm like oh this would have been really cool like <laughs> if i knew what they were thinking right yeah, yeah, yeah. too you know so um yeah uh yeah I, I feel like first person for me is really hard to write sometimes because i feel like i'm shoot putting myself too much in a box yeah you know yeah because like i feel like with with first person, like any extemporaneous detail that you get about like the surrounding world of the story that that's uh-huh. being taken place is filtered through the first person's um, or the the narrator's perspective. Whereas in third person, you can you can drop in these little bits of stuff that you know it's like it's like you as the author are describing this thing or have noticed this thing and the like. You know, like you can you can create what the world what the day is like, and then you can put the character in there, and like you notice that the stuff that's happening mm-hmm. around them, but the character might not. But you can still interject those details mm-hmm. or those experiences. All right. Well, where like that might be that uh, all for me is probably true of like my narrative writing, and I'm thinking about my poetry, <laughs> and like it's not really like that. Like my poetry is pretty like quote unquote first person. Oh yeah. Or something. Mine almost all of mine is. Or you know? second person, which is which is weird. Yeah. It's just it's more like I very rarely write a poem that is simply describing a scene. Mm-hmm. There are always people in it. And it is often Interesting. Me. You yeah. know? Um there's the I in there. Yeah. Uh yeah, I just I I don't know that's I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> that is, you know, maybe it's just the Style of poems I like to read, too, you know? Um, that sort of, that, like, idyllic landscape <laughs> describing kind of poetry is not really my thing either, you know? Yeah. Like, um, Well, I think that, like, when you're, like, if you're writing, an, like, a poem that is I, if regardless of if it's actual autobiographical or sure. not, I think that it's, I feel like it's easier to... Um, to like arrive at those moments of poetic and emotional truth if you're coming if you're distilling it from like your point of view or your mm-hmm. perspective because it you know because i feel like poems in and of themselves are little like snapshots of people's 
are like presentations of people's perspectives. Um, and it's really based on like the things that you see, the things that you notice and mm-hmm. where that takes you or like where you can begin to potentially like extrapolate out to or from. Um, and I, I, I feel like that, like the myopicness or the, the, that hyper focus is easier to like allow you to drill down mm, yeah. more so. Uh-huh. Um, cause I was actually, I was, I've been thinking about, um, like poetry that is super, super specific in poetry that is, is kind of in, like general. Um, cause there are, um, some like Instagram poets that follow me, like quote unquote Instagram poets that follow me on Instagram. And, um, there are a handful of them that, from what I've read, um, feels a little like general. Like it's it's not ground specific anywhere, uh-huh. um, and it feels like it 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 you know like most people will experience will have experienced that because it's so it feels kind of not not shallow because I, I feel like that's a, a there's a bad connotation uh-huh. but it's like it's. Um, it doesn't like it doesn't germinate super deep and then reading you know like Mary Oliver or like Jane Hirschfield there's this like this complete distillation and drilling down into the personal into the eye where you arrive at like what seems to me like a very very specific emotional or poetic truth that because it's so specific and so like because you like the the poet gets so specific you like you drill down past the eye and the ego or whatever into this just like this truth that Uh, exists and or this this feeling that like it's so specific of a a feeling that someone else can be like yeah that resonates with me that like i don't i've not i've probably not have experienced it or definitely have not experienced it from where you got there but like i've i've been there Mm -hmm. too and I feel like with some of the Instagram poetry, like it doesn't, like it will it will resonate with other people, but in the sort of like general and vague sense, not the not the super specific of like, oh yeah, my roommate did that the other day, and <laughs> you know that like whatever the feeling is, it's like it's it's the feeling that's the thing, not the like, the the, not the experience. And I feel like with the Instagram poets, it's more so that the experience is you know like what they're sharing and not mm-hmm. necessarily the, the feeling that results from the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which for me, like, I guess this is really what it is for me that like the, if you're, if you're, if you're, um, if you're offering an experience um, and just the experience and not the, not the resulting, whatever it is that made you feel yeah, that right. like you have the only way that you could get someone else to, to know what that experience is. If you describe it kind of vaguely, because odds are they've probably not had that exact experience for you. But if you're trying to get from to the feeling or like the emotional core of whatever that experience is, you have to go super, super specific. Otherwise you're never going to arrive at the, like, like you need to see that like I went through this all of this thing and it it led me to feel this right. and the feeling of like I can't describe what this feeling is but I'm going to give you exactly what happened to me in order to feel this <laughs> yeah. in hopes that it like it engenders the same feeling in you that it's like but you got there you know like I don't know like there I wrote a poem about dog sitting and just like the frustrations of like dealing with something that cannot comprehend what I'm trying to explain to it. Uh-huh. 
Which for me, it's like that happened, like it happened because I was dog sitting. Moment, right? But like for me, the 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 important thing about that is like the feelings of frustration, the feelings of like suddenly given power over this thing that like I don't want to be responsible for this, and Mm -hmm. I like, I think that like most people have had a moment of like you are like I can't I don't know I don't know how to explain this to somebody or I don't know how to wield this power and like that to me is the important thing how, like however you got there sure that's how you got there but it's sort of like it backtracks of like experience down to this feeling you read this thing and you arrive at this feeling and you're like oh yeah okay <laughs> I you know that's how I got to this yeah yeah but I don't know I think that I think that with uh, with narratives because it's not like you're not trying to get super deep but more i mean maybe deep but like you're trying to expand out into the story that i mean having the third person limited gives you that sort of that distance or gives you that that expansion that you can you can situate yourself in and not have to be like blinded on to like i'm only i can only write about the things that the i or the that i quote unquote have noticed and have have seen yeah right yeah i mean i totally agree i think the more specific writing is, the better it always is going to be. Um, Which is weird that like it, be, like you get that moment. It's like it's so fucking specific, and then it like it breaks that barrier and it becomes this universal. <laughs> well, it's really funny that you say that too, because um, so like my uh, my partner judges this um, scary story con- writing <laughs> contest every year at, uh, at school, and. Um, they must have been told to be very specific in their <laughs> writing. So what ended up happening was it was like uh, it was six thirty-two p.m. <laughs> on Saturday, February fourteenth, and and then it would, and then it would be oh. like and then it would be like at six forty-two, like Jane's mom got home at six forty-five. She said and it was like. It was like way too specific. <laughs> I was like, man, these kids are like keeping track of how long it took to like go up and down the stairs. And like, <laughs> uh, it was really, it was really funny to me, like, because that is like the extreme of right, like, yeah. the, like you read really specific. <laughs> oh like, man. Uh, oh god. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think that yeah. Uh, with the with um, narrative writing, well, poetry specific writing is really about getting you to that universal experience. Yeah. In narrative writing, I think that specific details are really about so that you have to help your imagination. Yeah, you know, so it's like the world that. feels real, uh-huh. and you can like, and I I feel like um, more fanciful or more like fantastical, either through fantasy or through science fiction. Um, like the better stories of those that I've read kind of do that where it's like they give you things that you can latch onto. like they present this world that is totally alien to you but they they the the authors will give you these things that you can latch onto like okay well like I, I understand this and I can I can situate myself here and that allows right, for right. like that weird like I can accept this and I can see this like you said that's like and it gets your imagination moving in that direction that's like okay well then I that I can begin to, I guess, like, see this and imagine this. Or I can suspend my disbelief enough right. to, like, to understand that this thing is happening when I'm, like, I can I can grab on right. here. That's always the toughest part is the suspending the disbelief yeah. part. How do you really convince people to do that? Because I feel like they're always, and especially with, like, fantasy and science fiction, most people are, like, 
that seems silly. Like, yeah. really? Like, why do I even care about <laughs> that? Like, this is, like, made-up fantasy stuff. Like, and that's, that's for me, always the challenge part about a writer is how to get that buy-in from yeah. your audience. Like, I, how to make them really care. Because, like, you know, when you're playing those games, like, none of that shit's real. Right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, there is no, like, children real children to save but like how do you get them emotionally invested enough to actually care now right yeah, yeah um and that's to me like the best the best part sometimes about it is like to really to have that emotional to get someone to a state where they can have an emotional reaction to something that is fictional like whether it's right. a story or whatever yep like, that's like how when a writer did it you yeah. know when they like accomplished what they set out to do um, yeah as an artist, you know, um, I, I think backstepping a little bit, I think that one of the best stories that I've, I've read, like science fiction stories that I've read that like situated me completely in it. And also like allowed, like kind of led me or like handheld me into the moment of like, I'm, I have to suspend my disbelief, but I believe it at the same time was, uh, the foghorn by Bradbury. Mm, okay. Um, it's about like these two guys that are working at a, a lighthouse, um, and like the, the the old the old lighthouse hand is saying that you know like every every so many years this creature shows up um, because it's attracted to the sound of the foghorn mm-hmm. like it's like it's it's mating call, um, mm-hmm. and tonight like he's been waiting for like the last month or last week it's like it's gonna show up at some point so he's telling this guy it's like you like just get ready for it. Um, and like this Loch Ness monster type thing shows up, um, and just like the way that Bradbury describes it, that like it's being filtered through one of the characters. So it, you get this sort of like, I'm assuming I haven't read a whole lot of Lovecraft, but I imagine it's the same sort of like your the reader's reaction is being or the reader's perception is being filtered through mm-hmm. a character's perception that is actively trying to make sense of what it is that they see. So that's it's a lots of like like metaphor and analogy uh-huh. it's like it, it looked like this it's it sounded kind of like this it's like it right. i imagined it or it it came to this thing and i imagined this that it connected to this other image so that you get a, a really a really detailed and sort of fleshed out image of this thing but without a whole lot of like direct actual description right. of trying to create this like fantastical thing that like huh. doesn't right. doesn't exist it actually exists right yeah huh. yeah that's cool and that's also like that that um, it's it's best when people when readers have their own sort of like uh, yep. interpretation of things. You know mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people don't like when books are made into movies because yep. they're like that is not how that character appeared in my head. You know and like by using metaphor and simile and stuff, there is no like actual monster. You right. know it's just the way you have interpreted all of these images right. which you is know? you know like the whole the whole adage with like horror movies that it's like as soon as you know like so many so, so many horror monster, films yeah. it's like it's so <laughs> terrifying and as soon as you see the thing you're like oh oh because like <laughs> the thing like the thing that they've created and no cannot comp compare to the own dread and like terror that you were concocting with your own mind yeah totally um yeah. which yeah i I would I would really love for there to be like a horror film in which the thing that's terrorizing stuff is like never act. There's like never little snippets seen. of it, but you never see it because I mean yeah. it's like how fucking terrifying would that be? I mean that's kind of like 
I mean, even though that movie gets a lot of shit, that's why Blair Witch was like so scary oh, yeah. to me. Or like as, it follows because you never you never see the Blair Witch like yeah. It doesn't. I think the sequels did some weird shit, but like that first one with the, like the cam style, you yeah. know, it, that's what that's what we're talking about. Is like there's something out there that you never really see, and, yeah. And it like keeps it. It's more scary because you know, or just has a bigger impact on you, right? Yeah, because, because it, yeah, because like you. <laughs> you 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 know what your own fears are and when led to your own devices like you you can yep. populate like you know f- like the dark it's like mm-hmm. you can like sure. you know looking down a, a dark uh basement staircase which i for the first time experienced when i moved to baltimore because new orleans doesn't have fucking basements oh yeah 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 so like being at the top of the stairs and it, like looking down a dark basement <laughs> is its own like unique because like attic is a is its own sure. sort of scare but you know there's the sense of like i don't know like the ascension into darkness feels a little less scary than the descent hmm. into darkness but yeah. like i've had some experiences where i'm at the, the foot of the stairs and it's dark and like i'm like 25 years old <laughs> i'm a little freaked out right now <laughs> yeah yeah totally oh. um okay i have i have the traditional last two questions, um, but I, there's before I get to there, there's um, I guess like two related questions that I'm I'm curious about asking, or I'm curious what your answer would be given some of the other things we've talked about. Um, okay. What is your ideal way to experience poetry, and what is your ideal way that you would want your poetry to be experienced? Ooh, good questions. Okay, and I know that like the way that you experience poetry depending upon like the poet and the poetry probably yeah. changes but if there's right. like a for the stuff that you you tend to enjoy or you tend to gravitate towards reading like how would how what is your ideal way for that to engage with that type of poetry hmm. and then for um, your own how like how do you want people to come to yours yeah honestly i like to read poetry aloud really um I like to, I'd say when I read poetry, I'm probably just sitting there like reading it silently mm-hmm. to myself. But when I find a poem that I really like, I like to read it aloud to someone else. Um, oh, so not just aloud to yourself, but not, aloud to someone else. Yeah, not just even to myself, aloud to wow. someone else, just to sort of ex- share that, you yeah. know, and... Um, because I found it's something that I've started doing more and more as I get older is reading aloud. Um, I don't know. I just I enjoy it. Um, I feel like I absorb it more when I'm reading it aloud. Do you like even pro stuff too? Even pro stuff. Even wow. pro stuff like those scary stories. I, I read them all. <laughs> I read them all out loud because it was just like it's it's fun, you know. Yeah. Um, and to sort of, and to, to make voices and stuff, mm-hmm. and like, it's just, it's, for me, it's like a nice way of experiencing poems, yeah. is to read them myself aloud. Um, well, plus you get, you get a little bit of that performative element in the presentation yeah. of it, instead of just having it, like, completely internalized. Right, right, exactly. Um, and just to, I mean, you know, something I struggle with is pronunciation sometimes, so I like to, like, practice, you right. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking words, make sure I actually know what this word's supposed to sound like, right. you know. Um, 
Yeah, so I'd say that's probably my ideal way of, of reading poetry, experiencing okay. poetry, is actually to read it aloud to someone else. Um, okay. And my own poetry, um, honestly, I <laughs> I like when people read my poems and, like, like don't tell me. Okay? <laughs> you know, like, like I... I mean, I just, that's ideally my, if the way that people would experience my poetry would be like a private thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I'm not like a huge fan of reading my poetry to other people. I like it, you know, uh, but it's like, to me, the best way is it, for someone to experience my own poetry would to be like, read it on their own mm-hmm. and then, um, just, you know, uh, take what they will from it, right. you know, um, it's really embarrassing sometimes for me to talk about like the meaning of my like someone be like I really thought that like the poem really got at this and that and I'm just like I don't know like <laughs> okay you know, yes I agree you know like you know that's just like a really I don't know uncomfortable conversation sometimes for me but yeah um, is do you know can you pinpoint like why that's a that why that's difficult or embarrassing. You? Um, I think it's a combination. I think it's partly because a lot of times people always think the that first person is you. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like trying to like get, get it, like man, what happened to you and that thing? and it's like what didn't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a persona. Yeah, and uh, that coupled with the like um, like I really like uh, you know a lot of what I did in. Uh, undergraduate and stuff is this like not like not really critical theory not really like lit theory it's some somewhere but like trying to figure out like what authors intended yes. you know mm-hmm. and um the like someone trying like someone asking me like this is what i think you meant right mm-hmm. is like not fair like right. not really what the point of it is right you know yeah. and i don't i i don't like having to be that like arbiter of what a poem my poem meant you know because it's like it's not up to me you know really uh yeah that's that's a very um i studied i want to say i studied this in an actual class in undergrad if not i actually it was at least talked about and implemented but the whole idea of like the close reading style of like analysis that like it doesn't matter what the fuck the author intended. Right. It's like that's not that's not the secret true meaning right. behind something. It's like if if you interpret or you see something and there is evidence, you can find evidence that you feel supports your particular understanding or reading of something from right. a work. That's a valid response. Yep, exactly. Um, I think that I think that and sometimes it's it's interesting because like I um I do a writing group with uh, Anthony and Tyler. Um, and the yeah. most, some of the, the, at our most recent meeting, some of the poems that I submitted, um, to be workshopped were poems that I wrote in response to either other readings or like, a, there's oh, okay. a musician that, um, the guitarist, uh, Hiroya Tsukamoto, who I'd highly, highly recommend <laughs> anybody listening, go check him out. He's fantastic. But he comes to Baltimore like twice a year. And I try to, I make it a point to try to see him every time that he comes through. Um, and I have so far written like three poems in response to shows that he's, that he's played. Like, while he's playing, I'll write something oh, in response. Okay. Nice. Um, cool. And so for me, it's like, I think that that's interesting information, and it might, like, it might color somebody's reading of it, but it, like, if you didn't know that, it will not, like, it, 
there's not some secret meaning that is suddenly exists in this <laughs> yeah. poem now because I told you this. You know, it's like I, it's just this extra little bit of like, yeah, I wrote it in response to this guy playing music, and yeah. you know, like, be, like for whatever it's worth. It's mm-hmm. you know, um, although I will say in the last, I think, the last two that I've I've written in response to him, a, a large dog has shown up in those poems. Hmm. Um, I think it represents death, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it showed up when he played, like there's a particular song that he plays that I think is what causes me to write this dog into these poems. Hmm. Um, but it exists in there. And, and again, that's one of those other things. It's like, it's just a neat tidbit of information for me. I don't think, yeah. it, I don't necessarily think it means. Right. It might not actually mean anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you can, you could, you could, see, you could read this as a legitimate, as a literal dog because yeah. there's a, at the four hour, four hour day Luthery in uh, Lauraville, when they have shows, there's a dog that yeah. wanders around the shop. So it's like, yeah. it could be a literal dog. It could be a <laughs> metaphorical dog. It could be a representation of death. It could be like sadness, grief, right. whatever. Yeah. Um, and why limit yourself to right, one yeah. meaning? Yeah. You know? It's like, for me, and even for me, it's like, there's sometimes when I write poems that there are images, and like, I try to, I've tended to be, try to be more concrete with the images. So it's like, when I'm writing about something, if, if, the, if there's a hawk or there's, you know, it's like something that shows up, it's, I saw this specific thing, but like you said, it's like, that doesn't mean that it, that has to be the same, like it might not have to be a literal hawk for everybody. It's like right. you might have your own interpretation or your right. own personal experience of what this thing means to you. And there's other times like I like that dog, like I write stuff and it's like, I don't, I don't know. You really know. Where, it's yeah. like, it could be, I guess. I mean, sure. Th- that sounds like when somebody mentioned that it could be they read it as death i was like oh that's great that's fantastic <laughs> it makes me feel like a better poet than i am <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming up with all these connections uh, yeah. um okay so my traditional last two questions are um if you have the vocabulary for it what is your internal landscape like mm-hmm. and i can give you some examples if you if you don't know how to approach this question no i think i know what you're saying okay um i think my internal landscape um is mostly mostly like a dream in that i i feel like i know i can remember i you know it's i have a um clearly have a uh, know myself or it happened but yet there always sort of seems to be something eluding me you know about either Interesting. who I am or why I reacted to something a certain way and um, it's like when you wake up in the morning yeah, and you like you know you had a dream you can remember the dream but there's just sort of parts about it that are a little or like blurry. a like a tone or some some like some feeling of it that mm-hmm. that's like you get you get the 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 things that populate it, but not the like the overarching right. experience of and it. And I feel like that's like part because I feel like that because I feel like something's always sort of just eluding me a little bit about myself. It's like why you know you try to work on yourself and stuff. It's because I feel oh, like I, I interesting. Know, I just I as much as I know myself, I feel like there are always things that I discover that I don't know, mm-hmm. and um, and that kind of keeps driving me to try to figure out why i didn't know those things in that kind yeah. of thing so i feel like a lot of times it's it's like that it's like it's like lewis and clark or something in okay. the landscape you know it's 
it's I have I have mapped it out. I kind of know where things are, mm-hmm. but there's just I feel like I so much more that I haven't right. discovered yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like um, I don't know, like war, like any game that has the fog of war that you can see in like the icon. It's like mm-hmm. you, you you're mapping it out, but there's always that like that extra pieces right. that like exactly. the more that you discover, the more you're like, oh, there's this other thing that's over there that. Uh-huh. Is it, do you feel like it's populated with any sort of, um, like, physical features or people or, like, or is it just that, that sort of sense that there is this, this space inside of you that you have, you recognize and you have a good handle on, like, sizable chunks of it, but there's still, like, spaces that feel like they're not explored? I feel like what I've done is I've taken... I've taken all of my experiences mm-hmm. and synthesized them into one sort of archetype, if that makes sense. So, like, okay. I have, in, in my dreams, and I think in my internal landscape, I have, like, this city, okay. this school, this house. Okay. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. constantly return to those things. They are a combination of all mm-hmm. things from my life. Mm-hmm. But they aren't any actual right. thing out yes. in the real world. I know. Do you know ex- what I mean? I know exactly. Yeah, like there's a there's a particular school that I will constantly return to in my dreams. That like every time I go to it, it's it is like visibly or ostensibly a different school. But I know for a fact that it's the same one that I've been to in all of my yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. like there's some there's some core element of it that's like this is the same mm-hmm. regardless of what it looks like this is the exact same thing or exact same place right okay right. and i feel okay. like that's what yeah. i've sort of done in my internal landscape okay. also is kind of created these uh images or i guess really yeah, yeah. things to represent all of my actual experiences with that thing out mm-hmm. in the world um you know so uh and then that those are sort of my touchstones for um, when I write or when other people tell me about their things or whatever, it's okay. like, I'm like, okay, I have this, I have this thing, this archetype of what I know a school to be, you right. know, um, here's a, you know, like I can share that. I can try to use that as my, uh, okay. Um, so you were, you were essentially like, like that feels like it's a, a weird sort of synthesis of the hyperpersonal becoming the universal almost that yeah. you've like created inside of yourself that you've gotten it's the assemblage and i guess like the collaging or the mosaic of all of your incredibly specific experiences that have become this sort of like this uni- like this stand in for the like the idea of this right. general yeah cuz like when someone like when someone says leaf you know like some people think of like a specific red, you know, whatever. Right. Leaf, yeah. Instead and, of just like the idea like, of. I, I don't. I, if it'll shift. It's shifting in my mind. You know, mm-hmm. it's like red. It's yellow. It's orange. It's green. It's this shape. It's that shape. It's hard for me to ever nail down one specific detail in my mind until like I try to translate it into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Because I'm assuming that like if you're if you're writing about, like say you're writing about a leaf. I imagine that it would probably start in that sort of nebulous. It's like it's the it's the shifting assemblage, and then as you get closer to whatever it is that you're like, if it's a particular tone that you're writing about, or mm-hmm. like let's say a particular leaf, that like eventually it will sort of like stop shifting and shake out as like yep. it's this this thing. Right. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> that's really cool. 
Mine, um, those of you who've listened to this podcast, I don't know, I don't know why I keep looking at my computer when I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> um, but those of you who've listened to the podcast before will, I'm sure by now, be tired of my description of my own landscape. But it's like mine's a very static thing for right. me. It's like South Dakota plains, like uh-huh. Badlands. Um, so there's like hills. There's a couple of like scrub trees, a big ass sky. Um, and so there was occasionally, um, like a fire pit and a log by the fire pit. There's occasionally like a, like a tiny house or like a tiny home, mm, okay. um, that's super, super spartanly, uh, furnished that will like, <laughs> there's a door into it that will open into like the rest of the doors of like the, the rest of the house of me. Um, but like that landscape, like it, that's, that's it. That's what it is. Um, sometimes... There is there is an interesting shift in that. Sometimes um, I'm watching myself in the landscape. Um, sometimes I am myself walking the landscape, and mm-hmm. sometimes I am myself the landscape. Mm. Um, I remember you. I remember in when we were talking about this at UB about your internal landscape, and that's I remember that was one thing I was going to say because I remember you saying that that you felt like you were your landscape. Uh, and that was like an always an interesting idea yeah. to me is that like feeling like you like are the landscape because I that's something I don't really feel in my internal huh. landscape is that I am the landscape right. it is me going through the landscape right you know yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and just how that would feel to be part of the landscape it's you know? it's weird because there I when I was younger I would notice the times that like I would feel like present in myself. I would mm-hmm. like present in my physical body. There are times that I would feel like my physical body is present and like I'm watching like internally uh-huh. am somewhere else or like way far away. And other times it feels like, like my physical body is removed and then my, my internal whatever is even further removed. And that was, that was sort of what got me thinking about like, or translating that into a sort of a, an idea of that, like, Sometimes I'm in the landscape, sometimes I'm watching myself in the landscape, and sometimes, like, I feel like, and it may be that, like, the moments that I'm the most connected to myself, I feel like I'm, like, the landscape itself. Because mm-hmm. um, I, and it's usually, or when I'm thinking about, like, actually being in the landscape, a lot of times it's in relation to um, experiencing emotions and, like, feelings that, mm-hmm. for me, I view them as, like, weather patterns mm-hmm. on the landscape mm-hmm. that, um, so it's like things that are happening to me, but there's this sort of internal distance between like, I don't see myself as the emotion. I feel, see myself as like, this is something because I view emotions as um, like in, involuntary internal reactions. Um, it's like something happens and you're sad or right. like it, it causes you to be or you you react to it with sadness. Um, and that to me is like, you know, rain moving across the mm-hmm. landscape and it's, you know, it's like it, you're sad and it will rain until it, it stops and then, it, you know, it moves right. on. Um, whereas I've talked to other people and when they experience emotions, it feels like they're situated in, like they are themselves like it's that. The sadness. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. Um, which I think for me has helped a lot with like the times that I have like depressive episodes that there's this immediate, cause I, I see depression and I think I may have talked about this a couple times in the podcast that I see it as like a systematic lo- uh, loss of connection 
until you're you're like you're just like if you can imagine like a light that's just sort of irising in on you until it's like you just you got like a pinprick and like uh-huh. that's the only thing that you can maintain and everything else is is vanished um and i think that's one of the reasons why for for people who experience or live with depression um it's so difficult to like think about it ending because for them in that moment it's like this is there this is, is it else, yeah. um whereas for me i i think that i've experienced a, a a lesser um you know version of it or lesser like my experience with with it has been less severe than other people because there's always this internal distance for me that's like the depression is happening and it's like i'm i know that i'm like i'm feeling it but there's mm-hmm. this little bit of me that's standing back that's like okay, well, like, I will be depressed until it ends. And, like, I can maintain that it's, like, it will end and it will suck. Like, it will undoubtedly suck going through it. But, like, I know that there is, like, because all the other times before, there's been an end point. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, it's it's easy to sort of just, not easy, but I think easier to just endure and persevere just through the, like, you know, I'm going to be real sad and real inactive mm-hmm. for the next, like, three days and then yeah. it'll, it'll clear up. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, that's only, that's something I've only really learned in like the last couple years of adulthood is that, that, uh, you know, things move on, you yeah. know, like, you know, when I, when your, my car would break down, it would be like the end of the world, like, God, like, fuck, I, I, like, this shit is just going to ruin everything. And like, yeah. now it's more like, it'll be okay. Like, yeah. it'll move on. Like, you'll figure it out. It'll be okay. And I mean, that's. That's something that's, you know, happened and also probably, you know, coming from like, just like work and everything is that like, yes, things go wrong, yeah. but like, you know, it'll pass. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it's like, hard to believe that though, yes. when you're younger, oh, because yeah. you just don't see enough to the future. Or, yeah. You know? Or that like, you've not had enough experiences to know that's like, oh, like this shit's happened. That's like the first time that something like that happens to you, like, oh, this is the end of the world. Right. And you don't have the understanding. It's like. It's like it's gonna it it will move on, right. and then as you've built up those experiences, you can recall them like, oh yeah, this yeah. will. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, going back to the whole like the things that you can control and mm-hmm. like the the like the the Buddhist perspective on that, um, like that dealing with like anger and sadness and you know like jealousy and all like right. all these other emotions and stuff. Um, when I finally. Like I, I I read something. There's like a um, therapy style called the uh, Marita therapy that ta- that talks a lot about like like really focusing on and understanding the things that you can control and the things that are outside of your control and not like wasting energy trying to control things right. that you can't. And that translated for me like emotions that like mm-hmm. uh, if I will react or I will feel something in response to an ex- an experience or a stimulus, and I have no control over that. Yeah. Like something i will something will happen to me and that causes me to be angry i have no control over that feeling i have control over what i do in response with that feeling and that that understanding of like and that little bit of separation of like i'm pissed this really fucking sucks but you know like it like it will end i will no longer be angry and then it's like you know i might default on the thing that i would do in response to this until i'm no longer angry so i have a little more control over like this is what my actual response should be instead of the immediate, like, right. you know, whatever. Or, um, but yeah, I think, I think that that's a really valuable lesson 
to to learn um, as hopefully quickly as people can learn it that like thing like th- things move on that like it's the it's will be your reality for a moment and then the mm-hmm. moment changes and it's no longer your, your or it's like it's part of your past mm-hmm. and it's well and, but and it's not about like suppressing oh no 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 yeah yeah like that just like we were talking about with like editing right yeah stuff. yeah it's not about getting rid of it entirely it's about finding the right place for it yeah in, in your you know way you organize your right. internal self yeah yeah you know? yeah it's not it's not the like to like to give yourself the validation and the the um the approval to like experience the things that you experience and to you know like you might react to something and you're angry it's like you don't want to stifle the anger but you want to like if that's not how you want to react to this thing and it's like after you're done being angry you can be like okay well like what are the reasons why i reacted angry mm-hmm. or to this because yeah. um, i i feel like that's with like emotional awareness and emotional intelligence i feel like I feel like a lot of people will stop with the acknowledgement of like, okay, like I can name what emotion I feel in response to this thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like not a whole lot of other people take the next, I feel like necessary step to be like, well, why did I react this way? Or why did this feeling come up? And that's sort of, you know, like, cause you can't, you can't control how you react, but you can, can necessarily, you can potentially control the, like the circumstances that would cause you to react or like the internal circumstances mm-hmm. that would cause you to react that way. It's like yeah. if there's some, some stuff that you haven't dealt with yeah. and that's causing you to be like real frustrated or real sad, like uh-huh. you can deal with that shit right. and that, you know, and that will ease up like your, like the shortness of your fuse or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. But yeah, so I, I definitely, the, the, the lack of the not suppression of stuff I think is yeah. important because like if you, or like the not dealing with, or the actual dealing with stuff is important because right. if you yep. if you don't, it's gonna get, it's gonna get way worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my last question for you is: Do you have any questions for me? Uh, um, On like it can be any across the board, any anything that you've wanted to ask me that you've never gotten a chance to ask me, or something that you just you just thought of that you wanted to ask me. Um. Not really. I don't think so. Uh, would you Would you like to play uh, an RPG with me soon? Yes, I would. Um, yes, we should. Yeah, I um, I was. I wish that I would. I would have. I wish that the timing of things had been more aligned. And when Anthony was starting his, like his beginning yeah. his of his campaigns, um, I could have jumped on that. But no, I'm 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 fully on board to to do to do something because right. I, I want to get my beak wet. I want, I would like to play first before yeah. I, I write just yeah. so I like the whole, the teaching just so I, I kind of know a little bit of like what, like what you can do, what yeah. you can't do, right. how to like, how this works, but you got to start there. Yeah. Yes. The next time that you, that you run something, um, or the next time that something is, is worth, something is being run that is worth it. Let me know. I will. Definitely. Cool. Um, so I think that's gonna wrap up episode five. Um, I don't know. I don't. I still haven't figured out a good sign off. But uh, for this week, go play a collaborate. Go go collaborative story tell with somebody. Yep. Um, I agree. Or I don't know. Read a poem aloud to somebody. Do do. Yeah. There do, you go. Yeah. Go either collaborate with narratively with somebody or go read a poem at someone. I think you'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as always, thank y'all for listening, and I will catch y'all next episode.